Hi everyone, it's Simon. Just want to let you know that at the end of the episode today, I'm going to introduce you to a good friend of mine who is not physically on the show with us, but uh, I'm going to be talking about him a little bit uh, as an introduction. And I am going to have him on an episode uh, in the very near future. So stick with us to the end because I really want you to be introduced to a very good friend, a very special person. Uh, and you'll find out all about that at the end. Carmel. I can't hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, now I can. I'm just trying a different mic, see how it sounds. All right, well, we're back. It's been about a month since we did a podcast. It has been a while. What happened? Well, it's been pretty busy, mate. You know what I mean? So, well, it's tax season, so tax season. No one can can grab you for an hour for uh, during tax season. Everyone's busy chasing their money. Oh, everyone wants their refund. Everyone's, you know. I've been getting uh, messages and people asking, "Where have you been? Why aren't you doing the podcast? You got to talk about this on your next podcast." So. Uh, Thought we'd better get back on it. So, actually, you know what? It's fine, interesting. Did you see that tweet by the female footballer about the guys having the old slappy slappy on the backside? <laughs> Doing the dicky whacking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, he's a bit of a boil over, don't Seriously. you? Yeah, but are you surprised in this day and age that that uh, no. causes this manufactured controversy? I didn't see the incident, but however, I've, I've played soccer for a long time and I know what goes on in change rooms and, you know, everyone just has a laugh and, you know, maybe, maybe it shouldn't be done in, uh, you know, on camera, but it's, uh, it's, you know, being one of the boys. And if you can't yep. be one of the boys inside a, a footy team where it's only about that group of players, right? It's not, not affecting anybody else. Seriously, where, where are we going if that's a, a big deal? So... But then again, I, like I said, not surprised that, uh, you know. Uh, definitely, uh, definitely not surprised. That the PC mob make a bigger deal of it. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's clickbait as well, you know, on these, these uh, new sites. What do you got going on with that computer? Put the, put the computer on mute. So anyway, what have you been up to apart from, your, uh, you know, getting people tax refunds for the past month? What have you been doing for the past month? Saying, hang on, saying that, <laughs> we've probably spoken just about every bloody day. What we should do is just press record on our phone conversations, <laughs> then bang, put it out on a on a podcast. We could do we could do three, four a week. Yeah, it's, it's been pretty intense. But yeah. uh, inform our uh, loyal listeners, uh, you know what uh, what's been going on in the world and in life of uh, of Mel. Me. Like I said, I've pretty much primarily just been working. I've been, I've, if we're not busy now, we'll never be busy. This is our, this is our Christmas time. Well, so. apart, I suppose, apart from tax season, it's also you know with uh, the JobKeeper stuff. You probably, yeah, Ooh, we've, which out. we've talked, which we've talked about to death. So let's not go there. But that on top of tax season, probably you guys be flat out. So, oh yeah, absolutely. And then. Um, yeah, that's pretty much been keeping us the most busy. And then obviously your bass is to do in this time as well. So yeah, right. Yep. Compound, compound, compound. So mm. yeah, been pretty busy. Been pretty busy. So no, it's good, but I enjoy being busy. Definitely makes the day go fast. Definitely oh, yeah. makes it fast. Sometimes <laughs> sometimes you're at work and it's like it comes to like three o'clock in the afternoon and it's like, shit, already. What the hell have I done? Yeah. Yeah, and then you and then you're scrambling for the next two hours or maybe three hours to. Um, I don't. Uh, this is what I don't know about you, but yeah, you know, sometimes when I do like physical work, and you've worked a full day, you can see the reap. You can see the benefits of your work. Like um, if you're a bricklayer, you can see you've laid this wall. Whereas in, I reckon in my field and a lot of our field, I've been on the phone for for an hour talking to the tax office for an hour arguing over something silly. Yep, I don't feel like I've accomplished anything, but I've been working all day. So, yeah, that's that's probably one of the differences between like a, a job in an office or a mental job as opposed to as a, as a physical job. Totally agree. I've been I've been spending a fair bit of time just trying to learn stuff and doing um, tutorials, and, you know, about digital marketing and and web stuff and things like that. So, I've been um, 
I've been going through this like mini course type of thing to learn how to do a, uh, how to set up uh, like a Facebook advertising funnel for my own business. So to, to, to get traffic through a series of ads and then retarget those people with uh, an email sequence. So that's, that's basically what a funnel means. So, so I've been designing that and, and now it's, so that's my little diagram about, uh, you know, mapping out my, my funnel. And, so, yes, that's uh, what I've been doing at least for the past week or so. But one thing that we could probably discuss is that uh, we have been talking for some time about doing a second podcast, mm-hmm. spe- which is, would be specifically about business and having guests and interviewing them, or maybe not, just, not, maybe not really interviewing, but just discussing, discussions about mm-hmm. our guests' business, you know, people that we know or even maybe people that we don't already know. Mm-hmm. Um, but just, you know, business owners, entrepreneurs and things like that, talking about how they started their business, how they, how they run their business systems they have in place, how they've grown it, how they do their, how they go about marketing. Any adversities, challenges they've had to deal with? Yeah, good one. Yeah, so that's a plan we've got at the moment to, to begin that podcast and maybe, maybe what we could do is do it alternate weekly with this one, mm-hmm. for example. So. One week, Chronicles on the Fly, another week, uh, insert business podcast name, <laughs> and then the next week back to Chronicles on the Fly. I don't know. We haven't landed on a, on a name really, have we? So, no, no. Something that we need to put some thought into. But, yeah, that, uh, that is something that we have, well, I would say planned, but we haven't really planned enough apart from having a, you know, initial discussion. Um, so eventually we're going to get that going. Yep. We should say if anyone listening is uh, keen to be involved with that uh, in terms of having a chat about their businesses, um, it doesn't have to be a business owner. It could be you know just someone working in a particular industry or business. Get in touch. Yeah, you might be uh, might be good podcast guests to have um, if you've got something interesting to share. So what else has been going on in the world? What's going on in Victoria there? Oh, what a what a debacle that place has become, isn't it? So. Yeah, yeah. just in complete lockdown. And I saw a report on the news last night that the building industry is pretty much all shut down as well. So, you know, you know when building industry grinds to a halt, <laughs> the state's ground to a halt, I suppose. Yeah, of course. My, my understanding is that the pretty much everything, bar, pharmacies, uh, grocery stores, doctors, that's pretty and service stations, that's pretty much all that's open. That's my understanding. I mean, Bunnings is closed for Christ, you know what I mean? Bunnings too. Bunnings is closed. You can't go to Bunnings. Wow. So, yeah, we didn't get even close to that over here. No, nowhere near. A couple months back or whatever it was. Yeah. Well, it's a lockdown from 8 o'clock at night till 5 in the morning. So it's actually a curfew. You can't get out. So no one can go to their work pretty much. Pretty much. All office work is, is stopped. Yep. Lawyers, accountants, everything, finance industry all shut down. Suppose everything goes on online as much as possible, um, which has pretty much been happening anyway. But now, in overdrive online and working from home, yeah. if it can be done, and that's the big word, if it can be done. Yeah, exactly. But a, a lot can obviously be done online, but there's still a high element that can't be done online. Well, you can't build a house online, that's for sure. No, you definitely can't do that. Yeah, you definitely can't do that. You're still getting massive numbers there. I thought it would have plateaued a bit. They're still like in the 700s, 700 plus new cases per day. Aren't it? 400 plus a day. But they're not seeing the deaths, the death rates like they were in Europe. No, no. Uh, obviously population, well, I mean, age of the population, the health system would have a lot to do with that. I mean, I don't want to compare, our health system is pretty good compared to, to yeah. most countries where there's a high death rate, so... There's been all this controversy and protests about, you know, having to wear masks in public. Crazy, yeah. What do you reckon of that? I mean, you know, even if the, the science isn't settled on whether a mask is effective just or not. Just wear a mask. Yeah, exactly. It's going to kill you. Is it going to kill you? Just walk out. Just, just even for your own sake, just wear a mask. Better to be safe than sorry at the end of the day, right? You know, I'm pretty libertarian in certain things, but honestly, you're really going to make, like that lady in front of your bunnies carrying on like a two-bob watch and what? Seriously. Oh, yeah. It's a mask. Just put it on. The Karen. Karen. And she was going on, because it's against the 
a woman's right or whatever. I'm like, no, it's a show. It's nothing to do with that. It's just a condition of entry to the shop. And then you got people still out there, you know, conspiracy theorists still going on about that, you know, it's not even real. And I haven't heard the, I haven't heard this 5G stuff lately. Yes, yeah, that's tied down a bit. But you know what's um, what's fun? What's I don't understand in Victoria. Like ADF went out and did knocked on a thousand doors or eleven hundred doors, or whatever it was, and like one hundred and fifty people went home. I'm like, what's the matter with you people? People that were supposed to be in quarantine, in lockdown, in quarantine, lockdown, because they were waiting for test results or something. Yeah, stuff like that. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's insane. But at that's the end insane. of the day. It's always because let's say you're waiting for a test result, right? Because you've been in an area, okay? And so you've been mandated to, you know, quarantine for two weeks or whatever it is, okay? But it's always the attitude, oh, it's not going to happen to me, mm-hmm. you know? No one, no one believes that it's real until it's real. So, you know, and in that time, it could be out there infecting other people. Absolutely. And this is... Um uh, that's right. It could be in affecting. Look, just stay home. But you know what's crazy about Victoria? I don't know if you, you heard about this one, but they were saying that if you have COVID nineteen, you can go and exercise for an hour a day. If you have it, you actually have it because it's your human right, apparently, to exercise. And I'm like, it's all about the people that are in lockdown in a hotel for fourteen days that don't have it. <laughs> Where your priorities are? That's ridiculous. It's insane. That's ridiculous. The economic issues now are really going to start outweighing the health issues. I mean, the lockdown in Victoria would be costing the government, both state and federal, billions of dollars. It would have to cost them billions of dollars. Well, the government's just forking out money now for six weeks for people to stay home. The money's going to come from somewhere. Got Clive trying to get the border reopened. Yeah, Clive to get the border reopened. It's, um, look, you know, it's funny about Clive. You know, he's actually got a residence here in Western Australia. Does he really? In Applecross, he actually has got a house in Applecross. Does that mean he should be allowed to come in? Quarantine for two weeks or whatever the, the rule is still at the moment? Don't you have to have a primary primary residence somewhere and that's... Well, he's got a business here at Cape Preston, which is okay. quite quite significant. <laughs> it's, not, it's not exactly a small business. But in, terms of, but in terms of having a residence somewhere in the world, don't you have to have a primary residence? Even if, you, if you've got more than one, right? So... If his primary residence is in Queensland, where he's from, mm. then f- at least in the context of movement around, you know, closed borders, you know, within Australia, yeah. they're probably taking a primary res- residence as as where he's a where he's from. You know, what I, mean? I don't know. I don't know how it works. But- oh, look, I look. I don't understand. I'm not a fan of Clive and never having probably. He's a tosser. Will, he's but- he's just all about himself at the end yeah. of the day. He's a selfish. Very, he's a very selfish man, right? But as a business person, what I have to look at, what he's saying is he was coming over here to do business for his mind and I do understand what he's trying to say. So, and because he can't hinder his business. But also the, the government kind of was on his side for a bit. So he's suing the WA government, right? And the, the federal government backed him. Up until a certain point. Yes, gave some evidence, all right, to the federal court, I think it was. This is, this is the way I... Uh, read it or, or heard it on a, on some 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 show or podcast or whatever it was. I can't remember. It was a week or so back now. Um, so the federal government gave some evidence, whatever that was, right, to the federal court. But then they pulled out and and said, "All right, we're not going to be involved in this in this lawsuit yeah. anymore." Right. So ultimately, a decision has to be made by the high court about whether the the border is you know to WA is reopened. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. However. The federal government pulling out is neither here nor there because that fair, that evidence that they gave about whatever I suppose the constitutional it was about the law. chief medical officer. Yeah. Okay, and 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 the the high the high court has to decide whether it's constitutional or unconstitutional for the for the border to be open, right? Uh, for the border to be closed, and so the evidence that was given by the government in the federal court is going to be used by the high court anyway because they take all of that evidence. So them pulling out, it's irrelevant. That's why the state government's trying to change it so they get it out. But it's, it's, it's um, look, at the end of the day, uh, look, I think, yes, I'm West Australian, but in the bigger picture, I am Australian. 
And just like, like we have a, I will have a blue passport, just like you have a blue passport. There's the seal of the Commonwealth of Australia. It doesn't say I have a, a seal of the Commonwealth of Australia, but my passport is black and gold that says I'm a West Australian. I don't, I don't have a visa for Western Australia. I understand that, but isn't there extenuating circumstances at the moment where, you know, there needs to be a temporary differentiation between normal times and pandemic times? Yeah, but that's, that's and you need to pr- protect specific zones I- within the country that are you know infected and not infected. I mean, it makes sense. At the end of the day, having closed borders has worked, hasn't it? Yeah, yes. Look, it has. It, look, and I'm not disputing it. It has. Right? And I'm, I'm not. not and, I, and I'm not. And I'm not. You know, saying Mark McGowan has been brilliant and blah blah blah. No, it's just a logical thing. Closing the borders down, keeping uninfected population in WA segregated from, you know, infected people from other states, Victoria, New South Wales, for example, has worked. It's just an obvious logical thing. Yes, but that's short. Like my attitude is, look, very simple. I agree. Yes, shut the borders. But at one point or another, the virus is here. Whether you like it or not, it's in, it's in the world. Yep. We're in a global world. You're going to have to deal with it. You can't lock the population up. Yeah, okay. I, I can see that too, right? What do we do? We keep, we keep state borders closed until a vaccine is, is found. And a vaccine can be years away. It could be 2023. What, just lock up the state for three years? Oh, come yes. on. You, you can't. You, you, you destroy the economy. You actually slaughter it. You know? What are you supposed to do? You're gonna, there's there's going to be a point, and I understand the government's trying to keep it out as, as long as possible so they get the infrastructure right if and when it does come. Because it's inevitable. It's going to come. And Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that there's going to be a second wave here in WA as well. And I said this, I said this, I think, a number of podcasts ago, that I think there was going to be a second wave. Obviously, it's happening in Victoria and, and beginning to in New South Wales as well, I think. But, yeah, it's, I think it's inevitable. You know, and, and, the, and also the other thing is, like, well, majority of people doesn't affect, right? But... If you've got your mum and dad that lives in New South Wales or Victoria and you haven't seen them and, and they're on their deathbed and, and the government say, no, you can't leave, well, how would you feel? Mm. You know, and vice versa. And if you've got your parents here and you're from Victoria and you can't go see your mum and dad, how would you feel? Because mum and dad say, no, you can't come and see us. Mm. You know, there's going to be humanity in there as well. I do it for the greater good. Everything's <laughs> for the greater good, huh? That doesn't change the fact that you have a whole now because you didn't get to go see your parents you know, or see your brother, your sister, or whoever. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, it's a tough I don't one, know. Man. You wouldn't want to be a, a premier or a prime minister or a, or a medical office, chief medical officer or whatever, these, these kind of positions yeah. at the moment, that's for sure. Mate, all I know is the long term, I tell you now, the economic impact, I've said it before and I'll say it again, is going to be massive. Yeah. No, Absolutely yeah. massive. No doubt about it. The government can't keep borrowing money. There's this uh, hydroxychloroquine um, oh, I don't really know much about debate it. going on. So in America, there was those doctors. Did you, did you see that video with those doctors? They called themselves America's frontline doctors and they, were, they came out and did this press conference, I think, in front of a hospital or no, in, front of, in front of like a, a government building it might have been actually all dressed in their white, you know, um, white coats and saying how they've observed that hydroxychloroquine is effective in treating this um, COVID-19. Now, that's, the, that's this drug that Donald Trump was, was going on about, even though he doesn't know what the hell he was talking about, but he was going on about it, you know, a month or two back or maybe more. Anyway, these doctors are saying that it's effective and should be widely used because this, this hydroxychloroquine is used for um, treating people with autoimmune deficiencies. It's, and, it's an anti-malaria and disease, drug. Disease and, and malaria, yes. They're the two main things that it's used for. However, they've, and they've done some studies and some studies have shown that it's effective and other studies have shown that it's not effective. And some of the studies that have been quoted are only like in vitro studies, which means basically in a Petri dish, right? Not in, not in humans. So that's not conclusive. And... Other, other study, that was for SARS, right? Mm-hmm. For the, the, back in 2005, it was um, shown to be effective to treat SARS in a Petri dish. Basically, you know, that kind of wipes out that argument. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and also there's a, there's been a, I think it was in June a st- this year, a study also, also showed that it was effective. However, the study was, was biased because it wasn't a randomized sample of people and it wasn't a double blind study, right? So this is uh, for, for doing scientific studies, they are two key characteristics that you need, right? Random, random samples of people. Yep. And also double blind, meaning the people receiving the treatment don't know whether they're getting oh, the placebo. Yes, yeah, the, yeah. the hydrochloroquine yeah. or yeah. the placebo, and the people giving the dosage don't know whether they're giving the yeah, yeah, yeah. the hydrochloroquine med- medicine or the placebo, right? So that's that's what double blind means. My wife's a pharmacist, so she's been busy explaining this stuff to me, and it's very interesting. <laughs> And also in, in, this, in this recent study this year, they left out an important uh, subset of people, people that they, that they knew were going to die regardless, okay? So that were in the last rows type of thing. So that, that just skews your results as well because if, if it's a, a, a proper random sample, you need to include all and every subset of, of people, right, to be, to be real. So that can't be medically proven. But everyone, everyone in, in the in the Twitter sphere and you know conspiracy nut jobs claiming that this hydrochloroquine has been banned from usage, which is bullshit. Also, it hasn't actually been banned because it still needs to be used for autoimmune, you know, treatment. And, you know, and not that there's much malaria around, but for you know, for those well, not those, in Australia, yeah, it's been banned from being prescribed for COVID. That's what it's been banned for. Okay. It hasn't been banned willy-nilly across the board. It needs to be absolutely 100% proven to be effective against COVID-19, and it's not. There's just been some cases where it's been effective, but also a number of studies and cases where it has not been effective. So it can't be proven. Now, the thing is, if you just start going to you know, prescribe it regardless, then you're going to see because it's, you know, because it's a pandemic, you're going to see a, I suppose, all those stocks just get used up, okay? Yep. And then people who need it for those other illnesses, autoimmune, autoimmune uh, illnesses and things like that, eh, what are you going to do with them? You're just going to allow them to go without? No. So this is what these conspiracy nut jobs don't understand. And you've got all these people in media and on the left and right of politics and political commentary and just everyday average plebs. You, you read Twitter and it's just, my God, it's a cesspit. Oh, I've, I've, I've gone off Twitter. It's, it's actually, I've actually, to be honest with you, I've, I've really gone down on all my social media and I, and I feel better for it. I mentioned that one because that's where the majority of this commentary, you know, on social media is about this hydro, hydroxychloroquine. So, yes, it's very interesting when you, when you actually understand it and then, Obviously, having someone in a medical profession explain the way this works, and she's going to listen to this and get a big head. <laughs> but yeah, it is really interesting because I would have I would have previously been like, well, if it doesn't actually hurt you, why not just just give it a go? But you also got to it's also got to be tested against people that have other medical prescriptions, and if it, you know if there's oh, yeah. if it, if there's effects, you know because they're taking you know such and such other drug, and then you introduce this hydroxychloroquine. All these studies need to be done, and it all needs to be studied to conclusion, and needs to be able to be peer reviewed and replicated. That's the thing; it needs to be replicated as well. They they can't do that. It hasn't been done yet. It's too soon. This new coronavirus comes along. COVID-19, you can't expect that within six months' time they're going to come up with a treatment or even a vaccine, but we're talking about just, we're just talking about the treatment here. You can't expect that in only six or so months' time they're going to come up with a conclusive treatment. It can take years, right? When a, when, a, when a new illness or virus is introduced, it takes years. Like, like all these other coronaviruses that have been around before, SARS and you know, yes. swine, swine flu, they still exist. They haven't been wiped out, right? But over time and, and years, they've, they've, I suppose, come up with effective treatments. This is what it's going to take for, for COVID-19 as well, right? Over years, it's going to diminish in its prevalence. But for the time being, it's here and it's with us and we've got to learn how to live with it. That's right. And I agree with you. 
Luckily here in WA, not so much because no one's got it. No, we don't have to. No, no, look, the borders are working. My concern is, but it's going to be later on, not so much now. Later on. It's here. You, you get, international travel is going to have to open. Just like when there were these other coronaviruses, certain countries were shut down in this way, not, the, not, pretty, not like the whole world, but certain countries were. And eventually they got opened up again, right? Well, I, I specifically remember travelling to China when SARS was on. Was it SARS or MERS? Swine flu. So that that was a thing, and and you were there, and I was there. All right, and you got, and you didn't get it, right? So it's just like, it's just going to be the same with COVID nineteen. And I remember, like everyone's walking around with masks. A lot of Asian people walk around with masks any, anyway. <laughs> That's uh, if you go to Hong Kong airport, you see everyone's got yeah, masks. Every, everyone's just got this paranoia. <laughs> <laughs> and it all stem, it all stem from SARS. But even regardless of, of people's backgrounds, I'm still seeing people here with masks on occasionally oh, yeah. when, when you go to the shops and things like that. And it's like the, you, you know there's no need for it, but they're still doing it because there's that paranoia that's still stuck with people. Yeah, I don't remember. I think it was 2008 or nine or whatever it was, going through the, the airport in China. And everyone was in like the cattle line, like the cattle, like they made the gate and every you go for a temperature, like it's a full body temperature scan. Yeah, right. And the guy would come up with you with a... With a with um, what's it called, temperature to measure your temperature on your forehead. Uh-huh. <laughs> so yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a big thing. If you feel sick and I was like, yeah, but yeah, mm. but, I uh, but in saying that, I don't think that strain was as bad as what this one is. So, no man, I don't think it was as uh, contagious as this is. Yeah, supposedly. Supposedly, but again, I'm no. Look, after all this, I'm just. <laughs> would like to go back to some sort of normality in my life, <laughs> you know, and so I'm sure everyone would. One thing I saw uh, the other night, um, it was on Twitter, but it was just, it was a link to a Channel 7 News, I think Sydney report about this technology company that has come up with this, it's kind of like facial, not so much facial recognition, but AI, what, what's AI? Artificial intelligence cameras that measure the distance between people like when they're out in public or in a bar or in a shop or anywhere on the street. So these cameras with technology that measures social distancing, basically. Jeez. So it's like this, you know, big brother watching that you're keeping your distance, you know? And I just thought, oh, wow, that's... Uh, then you wonder why people, you know, come, you know, have this um, conspiracy theory that it's all about government cracking down and controlling the population and things like that. That's just big brother overreach, if you ask me. That's just, that's sick. Something straight out of uh, 1984. Well, there's, well, Peter Dutton's famous for putting, uh, well, he's, he likes these uh, big brother watches, you know, right? He's in got, see that, that's, they are sneakily putting through that cyber security bill. Spying on your internet usage. Yes, yeah, just spying on everyone, you know? And they're going to have facial recognition of you and all this sort of stuff. And uh, it's a spine against its own citizens in a nutshell. I was like, yeah, no, he did that. The Stasi did that. <laughs> and, and the KGB did that. Do you use a, um, a VPN on your computer? Certain times I do, yes. Yeah, right. So for anyone who doesn't know, it's a virtual private network. It's a it's software that... Um, I suppose gives you a different IP address and makes you look like you're, uh, let's say, you know, we're in Perth. You can make it look like you're browsing from another country or another another part of Australia or whatever, right? So you're not where you are and you can't be tracked. Okay. So I use one by default. It just it's um it it starts up when I start up my computer. However, most things it's not working anymore. It's just like from about two weeks ago, it just stopped working. Like it was working fine with Zoom. And I've got a rule, like a, a setting in it, so, uh, to tell it to not work, to not um, use the VPN, to bypass the VPN when I use Zoom. Okay, I had to, I had to turn the bloody thing off because it was blocking everything. Like from from pretty much from one day to the next, it just stopped working. There was a cybersecurity bill. Have a look. It's um. So do you reckon that that example there that I gave you that it's um it's pri- private internet security is the is the software that I use PIA, right? And it was really good when I first got it. I bought this deal, I don't know, a year or two back. It was like five, uh, you know, a subscription for five years. Okay, like pay pay like a year's worth. You get 
you get five years and you can use it on five or six different devices. I thought, beautiful. You know, I've heard, you know, it's, it's good, good software, had a good reputation. All of a sudden, all of a sudden it stops working. You know, it works on, on certain websites. Most, most websites it doesn't anymore. So I've got to keep, I've got to just, you know, turn the thing off. Not that I'm looking at any, I'm, I mean, I'm mainly doing work anyway. So th- could it be that, you know, they've, they've changed their software because of Peter Dutton's cybersecurity bullshit that he's brought in? Or is, or is that still going through Parliament and it's not legislated? I don't know. Makes me wonder. It makes, well, now you mentioned that, it makes me wonder. Look, I'm not a theorist, conspiracy theorist at all, but lately I've had the ATO, a few clients come to me saying, oh, the ATO found out I did some Bitcoin transactions. And I haven't claimed it in my capital gains. So I'm like, what? I said, how would they know? How would they know? That's the point of um, cryptocurrency. Bitcoin. That's, to my, be- that's, not, that's, not, that's my. That's my. That's my. It was like, how would they know? And then, like, and it's actually genuinely the people that they've gone to, they've actually like traded in cryptocurrency. I'm like. Okay. And I had one lady and she wasn't, wasn't big. She was like, she might have made like $400. But it says, um, just to wear aware that you've traded in cryptocurrency if you have to amend any previous tax returns. I'm like, how would the ATO know? So whatever exchange they've used to buy and sell cryptocurrency must be, you know, open to, to be viewed by the ATO. Yeah. Well, all I know is I should have used mine because mine were all capital losses anyway. <laughs> so I lost a truckload of money on that crap. Did you Did you buy some cryptocurrency? Oh, years ago. Years ago. Oh, I started. I remember I started looking into it and I set up an account with something, but I never actually made a transaction. So I, just, yeah, I thought, you know, it's too hard. I haven't got time. And who knows? Might have might have got rich or might <laughs> might have lost a shitload as well. But anyway, but I remember worry. looking at I remember looking at Bitcoin back in 2010 or whatever. It was. And it was like nothing. It was absolutely nothing. 2010. Was it around? Was it around 10 years ago? Yeah, easy. He was in the early. He was in. The, when was it? Yeah, it was around then. It was like when it first came out. Because I was watching a documentary on on Fox back then, actually. Uh, yeah, I wonder what what it's worth now. Oh, I don't know. Because it got to I, about it got to about twenty thousand US. What sixteen thousand one hundred eighty five dollars Aussie. It's gone up, okay. It was a month ago, 13,000. Well, all, all that hype is really, you don't hear about cryptocurrency much anymore. Well, maybe it was 2011 when I was looking at Because I remember there was, there was some guy talking about it on this, it was on some kind of what documentary, and they're doing the mining, and he was like in his basement doing this crypto yeah, mining. and it uses up more in electricity costs than it's worth that you actually that you actually get into your account. That's what he and he's going, no, nah, no, nah, this is long term, long term, long term, <laughs> long term. Right. And I mean this guy must have bought that much of it, right? And it was all long term, long term, long term. And I remember looking at it, I was talking with another with another computer techie at the time. Well, thought, maybe we should just buy a couple just so we got some. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been good. <laughs> and that's why that's why, you know, China sets up all these solar um fa- solar farms for cryptocurrency mining. Because it uses it's so power, you know, intensive, you know, the, you know, using all these computers to mine it. Yeah. I don't know. Who's got time for this? Though? Did you see that thing in Lebanon, that explosion in Lebanon? Oh, yes. Oh, my, my God. I've, I've probably God. watched, I've probably watched 50 videos of it from different angles. Oh, my God. That is, they said that it was about one sixth of the size of the, atomic bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima, just to compare. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine that? One-sixth of that size? That's, that's bloody huge. Oh, man, it registered 3.3 on the Richter scale. you see the crater that it made? Oh, my God. That was concrete. And then it yeah, just – Yeah, and now it's ocean. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> oh, my God. I've watched – like, like you've watched – and I'm thinking to myself, but apparently it was a fire a fireworks dump as well. I'm like, why would you well, put that you, fireworks you could, next you could When it was just on fire, you could he- see, you know, lights flashing and, and I think you could hear things as well. You, there wasn't fireworks going into the air, like going up into the sky. But I don't know, maybe it was contained in the building and they were, they were going off. But, 
But right. there, there's, an, there's another conspiracy video. Have you seen it? I don't know if you've seen it already, but it's already out there. No. That there's a film on it, and it's in um, they do it in uh, what's it called? Heat sensor film, and it shows like a rocket coming down and goes uh, bubble. Now it's like the uh, the the planes that hit the twin towers were, were a hologram and bullshit like that. God, everyone comes out of the woodwork, don't they? <laughs> I was like, really didn't take them long. I was like, holy shit. But my God, there were so sweet. many because it was on fire for so long. There were so many cameras on it from from every angle, every distance. I mean, there was a I saw a video which was from thirty kilometers away or something like that, like miles away, and it, and it, you could see the the explosion up in the air. And then seconds later, like like seven eight seconds later, the the sound wave, the shock wave, goes just the shock wave just goes boom. Imagine that, man. I reckon you could hear it in Cyprus, which was about... It's 150 k's away. Imagine that, man. Imagine being like 500, you know, having an apartment like 500 metres away, looking, looking directly at it. Well, you wouldn't be alive. No, when people are, people actually are alive because they were filming it, you know, but the thing is they're, they're not just their apartment. Their building doesn't pretty much exist anymore. It's like skeleton structure, if anything. And they were thrown from one side, one side to the other, like... Imagine, imagine your ears. You're, 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 you'd be actually tone yeah. deaf. But there was a guy on the radio and he was saying, um, he goes, I've lived in Lebanon all my life. And um, he goes, as you know, we've been a war-ravaged country. He goes, but we've never heard an explosion like that ever in our lives. We've had a lot of bombs. He goes, we've had a lot of bombs, but nothing like that. All that ammonia nitrate that was stored in that building was confiscated from a Russian ship about, I think it was about six years ago. And then it was just just sat there and nothing's ever been done about it. I think there was all this all this debate at the time what to do with it. They were supposed to sell it off uh, and it just never got touched. Well, it's good fertiliser. I don't know why they wouldn't have used it. And also this, that big silo. Uh, yeah, that's full you know, of the grain. Big, the big white building. That, that contained uh, or that port handled 85% of Lebanon's uh, grain. So now... Massive food issues, not just in uh, Beirut, but probably the rest of the country. My God, that's just that whole country now is a humanitarian issue, not just Beirut. Far up, man. That's how many. What's the latest on how many people have died? I don't know. I can't be. It's got to be more than hundred. On the on the day they were saying about seventy, then it was slowly creeping up. I think it got past hundred the last I've heard, but it's got to be more than hundred. You would think that. You know the size of that explosion. Oh my god! Oh, it was but then again, but then again, remember nine eleven, right? September eleven, when that fell, the the immediate thought when those buildings came down, the immediate thought was, oh shit, thirty thousand people are going to be dead. You know, everyone everyone was saying these kind of numbers. It turns out to be about three thousand over um, New York and and uh, Washington. You can understand, right? The, when the tower was fell, they fell down, right? Yeah. This explosion, the sound wave went, imagine all the shrapnel flying, all the glass. Oh, people would have died from shrapnel wounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, of course. You know, so that's what I'm saying. I reckon it would have been there. It had to have been. Imagine many people. Well, I suppose there's, from- there's still people that are unaccounted for that, you know, they, oh. they are under rubble and things like that. So they're not going to be counted in a death toll until they're actually recovered. So that's why the death toll is going to go up and up over weeks. Someone's got to be held accountable for that, but I mean, that's just I don't stupid. Know. Whoever I mean, runs, whoever runs the port and this, and is you know, manages the storage of 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 that stuff. Two and a half thousand tons. That is that is insane. Did you see that um, in Newcastle, Orica the company, Orica has um, storage of I think it was four. I think the figure was four times that amount is stored in uh, in a, in warehouses in Newcastle. Over in the Eastern oh, States. Jesus. However, yeah, you know, we're talking about Australian standards compared to Middle Eastern standards in terms of safety. Oh, right. So there's a difference there. However, if something did go wrong, a fire. Shit. All it takes is a fire, right? I think the issue was I don't think it burns as such. I think it needs a detonation or something. I don't know. It's a bit yeah. I don't know. It's good. I don't know. I don't know. It's so what weird. the fireworks is what set it off. It could be, and it's got to be me. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Well, that's Imagine. what was used in Oklahoma bombing. Remember the Oklahoma bombing? Timothy McVeigh? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, fertilizer. Yeah, yeah, but it wouldn't have been anywhere near that amount. Um, no, it was, it was, that was only a truck full. There's also a theory that that 
Timothy McVeigh didn't do it as well. There's a there's a documentary about it, but it was that he was set up as a patsy or something like that. No, I haven't watched the documentary, so I don't know the ins and outs. But I'm just saying it was that, a bit of a nut curse. That's out there too. Yeah, he was. Yeah, wasn't he a white supremacist or something? Yeah, he was a white supremacist too. Yeah, was a nut curse. Anyway, it's and same with the, well, he's another one like um, the Joe was the guy who killed uh, Kennedy. What was his name? Oh, Rob on Dog, that. On that. That that brings up something that I was. I've been listening to that um, mafia podcast that you. Oh yeah, awesome. that you, yeah. That, it's called Mafia, right? That's mafia, really yeah, really good podcast. At the moment, I I just finished listening to the one about Lucky Luciano, but the first one awesome, I listened man. to, the first one I listened to was I didn't realize how much he was involved with um, Jewish gangs. Actually, Lucky Luciano. Oh yeah, no, of course, and, Lansky. And, and Roth, yeah, Lansky and Rothstein, and actually, if you watch. You watch um, Boardwalk Empire. You've ever seen it? No, I haven't. No. Yeah, listening to that puts Boardwalk Empire into the con- into context. That's a great show um, because that's all about the early days of um, uh, prohibition, and so the ca- some of the characters are Lucky Luciano and uh, Maya Lansky and Arnold Rothstein. Arnold Rothstein was the old man. Well, he was. Well, in in the show, he's not old, but um, he's the brains, basically. Yeah. Uh, and and he's the the puppet master basically, and yeah, and so Maya Lansky was very um, uh, a numbers man, and and Lucky Luciano was very um, very smart as well, and they they just Lucky Luciano set up the five five families. Yeah, correct. Well, he's the Genovese, so right. So thing. it's really interesting. I've been learning a lot, and also, but before before his time was Sam Giancana. No, Sam Giancana is no, no, no. Sam Giancana was from the outfit. Was after? Oh, yes, Chicago, Chicago. He's right. But he's after. He's after um, Lucky. He came in after Lucky. Of course, because they were twenties, thirties. There was yeah, because they could, Giancana. They, 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 Giancana was a big player in. They reckon in popping uh, JFK. Yes, along with the guy from the 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 mob in the south. There, what was his name? But hang on, the, the commission is made up of the five families, Chicago, the Chicago outfit, and plus Buffalo. LA. And, LA. Oh, there's LA, is there? Okay. Yeah, LA. There's, there's, there's a few. Yeah. There's one from Florida or something. There's, yeah. there's, so was it was it Sam Giancana who started the commission? Who was that? No, no, no. Commission was um, Lucky Luciano. Oh, he started He's the commission. Yeah. Commission. Okay. Yeah. But man, that is so interesting learning all that, all that stuff. Yeah. But and then what's his name? They make uh, it. They make it pretty clear that the mafia was was involved with um, getting rid of JFK. Hey, oh, they were the. Yeah. I mean, it's it's never been proven. It probably can't <laughs> be can't be proven, yeah. but it seems pretty obvious that there was something there. Yeah, yeah, that's and, um, and, they, and they set up. Um, what was the guy's name who who allegedly shot him? Supposedly shot him. Uh, um, What's his name? Lee, Lee Harvey Oswald. What's his name? Lee Harvey Oswald, right? So he had he had mafia connections, didn't he? And, and they and they set him up as a patsy. And then the very it was it the very next day that other guy comes and shoots him, right? Because he was yeah, saying Jack Ruby, Jack, Jack Ruby, Ruby, and he, Jack Ruby and he was also he was, also mafia connected. A, a, mob, a mob hit, yeah, yeah. It was, it was a mad mobster, which is caught on live TV, mind you. Yes. Man, this is just yeah. amazing. Like, could you imagine happening that uh, happening that happening in this day and age? Mm. Well, the, the the Chicago mob was pretty. I remember, Capone was on the original commission, the Mafia Commission. He was there. Um, then there was then he got Capone got a bit crazy. Obviously, he went off to a loony bin. Then it was run by a guy called Frank Nitti, Tony Accardo, and what was there was another guy. Oh, Paul Rica, yeah. So that was the three that ran. Then I remember, I think it was Frank Nitti, who was a Calabrese guy. He committed suicide because he had to take the fourth or something, and he couldn't handle it. So then Paul Rica and Tony and um, Joe um, Joe Alcardo ran the the Chicago outfit, and they put Sam Giancana in as the face, mm. as the boss supposedly. But they actually yeah. were like, did you retired. have you watched have you watched that? Um, uh, it's a three part series on Netflix, uh, Fear City. No, no. No, I haven't watched it. I've, I've, I haven't watched it. It's all yeah. about um, you know the RICO cases against the five families and how they how they bugged the um, the heads of the five families for years. Yeah, I mean, these guys were 
<laughs> every conversation they ever had was pretty much on on tape and how the how the FBI got into their homes into their cars and bugged them and that mate they were they were wired for sound for ages mate they were never getting away with anything the guy that was involved in the um, Kennedy was a guy named Traficante. He was tra- Traficante. He was heavily involved in the uh, in in the whole in the whole scheme thing. The original commission had the, the, the New York was the Lucchese family, Detroit, Providence, um, Buffalo, Chicago, Philadelphia. Don't know what that one is. Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Milwaukee, Tampa. New Orleans, St. Louis, Dallas, Kansas City, and Colorado, and Los Angeles. However, they never re- referred to themselves as like the Gambino family or the Colombo family. No, no, that was no. like a, maf- a mafia term. Mafia, uh, sorry, a um, an FBI, FBI term to classify them. So they probably just referred to themselves as where they're from. I don't know. But that's fair. That because even though like they might have been from the Gambino family, you had the Bronx. Yeah, the Bronx, uh, the Bronx yeah. section, and you know. But, what I mean? Yeah, they didn't call themselves the Gambino family or the, yeah. the Lucchese family, and etc. Yeah, the guy who that was, his name was, I think he was involved in, um, was named Santo Traficante Junior. He was from Florida originally, to Sicilian parents, born in from Sicilian parents. He was heavily involved in. He was also involved in the plot to assassinate Castro. They reckon. Santo Traficante. But that was also in conjunction with the FBI. So yes. the FBI was using the mafia. They were in cahoots. Yep. To, to try and bump off Fidel Castro. Yep. But basically is like they were saying in, the, in the, the mafia podcast, like that's pretty much the government selling their soul. You know, once you get in, once you get in bed with the mafia, then you owe them something. Yeah, but, that's the, but they got into bed with the mafia in World War II, remember, as well. Did you know that? How? Well, who controlled the docks in New York City? It was the mob. All right. So there was, a, there was, um, there was talk that there was a uh, German ship that made it all the way to there, to New York City, a submarine. A U-boat. Something like that. U-boat or something like that, yeah. Why? So the mobs helped with that. I don't know. Maybe because they were planning on invading one day, the Germans. But the other was that what they did was um, they went to – Lucky Luciano said, we need help. We are going to invade Sicily. We need your people over there to help us land and, and all that. For the, the Sicily landing? Yes. Hence why he was given, because remember, he had a life sentence. He was, he was they let So that's out. why, because Mussolini had all these mafia families locked up. Yeah. Right? So that's why... After Sicily and, and, well, I suppose the majority of Italy was liberated, that's why the Americans let them out and let them have passage to America. Yep. So thank you very much, American government. Well, you got to understand, like, because of what, because you remember, Luciano was from Sicily, right? So he had all the intel and his family was all from there. Yeah, his whole family was from there, right? So they said, we need help. It's on that documentary. Have a look at the documentary about like. Hence, why they go. That's why he was let out of jail. Which documentary? The, there's a couple. Of, it's on. Um, it's on uh, YouTube. There's a documentary on it. Just type in Lucky Luciano documentary there, and it comes up. And that's why he got let out because technically they needed Uncle Sam needed help. Yeah, World War Two and freedom. Here we are. Here we are. During World War Two, the UNESCO struck a secret deal with um, with Luciano. In 1942, they were also worried about the sabotage in the facilities on the on the docks, and so they obviously they controlled the docks. Um, the United States reached out in exchange for his sentence, um, allegedly promised to hand over documents, sites, and uh, in preparation for the invasion of Sicily, Leciani allegedly provided U.S. military with Sicilian mafia contacts, and there's an actual operation called Operation Underworld about it. The mob also helped helped the the US win the war. I'm going to do a podcast episode with someone. I'm reading their book at the moment. This guy I know in Cleveland, his name is Scott Fedor. He's a paraplegic and he has written a book about his life. It's very, very interesting. I'll show you the book here on the camera. 
So I'm just looking at him online, Scott Fedor. Scott Fedor, all right. His book is called Headstrong. Headstrong, yeah. How I know Scott. All right. So you know I'm a mad Springsteen fan and I am one of the uh, administrators of the Bruce Springsteen Perth Facebook page. I think it was 2013. Uh, they were putting together a, um, a documentary. Springsteen and I is the documentary. And so that was about just getting people to make their, their own videos, pretty much a crowdsourced uh, documentary. I actually didn't like the documentary, thought it was crap. But anyway, they got, they got people from all around the world. Uh, I think it was Ridley Scott, if I remember right, was the, was the director. Um, got people from all around the world to send them videos just to talk about, you know, as fans, their love of Bruce Springsteen, why they loved him, the effect that his music had on their life and blah, 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 all this kind of stuff, right? So anyway, one of the videos that was submitted was Scott. Scott put together this video um, with the help of his friends to talk about his passion for Bruce Springsteen's music. Anyway, this video was not used, okay? But I, th- I don't know why because it's an amazing video. It's about 11 minutes long. It's just you watch it, you'll probably cry, basically. It's very emotional. It's all about how, um, you know, when he had, his, uh, he had an accident which broke his, basically left him with a broken neck and left him paralyzed and in a wheelchair and how he had gone to a Bruce Springsteen concert and, and before the concert, like maybe a week or two before, sent a letter to Bruce Springsteen's management saying that he was going to be there and he would really love to have the opportunity to meet Bruce and thank him for helping him because um, when he was going through all his really rehabilitation, he would use Springsteen's music to inspire him and keep him going, you know, listening to him in his headphones. You know, he credited Bruce Springsteen with, you know, being a big part of um, helping him, motivating him to not give up. Yeah, so it's, it's yeah, a very inspirational type of video. Anyway, that video is on YouTube. So if you, if you search Scott Fedor uh, Springsteen and I, it'll come up on YouTube and spend 10 or so minutes watching that. I reckon it's just amazing. I've seen it a million times. Uh, every time it affects me. Anyway, back in 2013, that video actually went sort of viral, you know, at least among Scott's video went sort of viral, at least among the, you know, Springsteen's fan community online and things like that. Everyone was sharing it around and nobody could believe that they didn't actually use this video and put it in um, the actual Springsteen and I documentary. Anyway, because I, because I help run the Bruce Springsteen Perth fan page on Facebook, I got in touch with Scott and um, I just, you know, sent him a message, I think, and said, you know, that video is amazing and whatever. And I don't know, we just started talking. I think we've over the years done a couple Skype sessions, but we keep in touch by email, you know, fairly regularly and that. Um, so, yeah, I actually, I don't think I've ever told you about him actually before, but uh, I, would, I would consider him a good friend. And he released a book uh, last year called Headstrong, like I mentioned. I'm only about halfway through it, even though I've had it sitting on my shelf for so long. I'm such a, a crap reader. But anyway... Before I started reading it, I reached out to him and I said, look, I'm going to start reading your book now, but, you know, I've started this podcast, you know, with you. And what I would love to do is once I finish reading the book, then get, get him on the podcast and to talk about obviously his book, um, you know, his love of Springsteen, his life. And because it's very, it's a very inspirational book and he's got a great, you know, great story and everything. So long story short, when I finish reading this book, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a, a sort of interview or a, you know, a podcast with him over, over Zoom, I suppose. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to doing that. I think it's going to be a really good podcast. So look out for that. I've just got to um, get, through, get through reading his book. Like I said, I'm a crap reader. I take forever to read a novel. Well, hurry up and read. Yeah, I know. I know. It's going to, I think I'm really looking forward to, to talking to him about it. As I'm reading it, I'm making notes about what I want to ask him about particular stories that he's you know. Unfortunately, that's uh, like you, like me. Um, I'm not a very good reader. And uh, it's probably one, one skill I wish I really was really good at was reading because I buy books and I have so many books that I just don't read them. But I want to read them. But I just. Yeah, same. I've got all these books on my shelf that just sit there, you know, like books I've bought, book, books people have given to me and I don't know. I should just make a, like make an hour a day where you just, you know, spend reading, probably, probably make you more productive actually if you did that. 
So yes, I'm gonna I'm gonna do that um, soon yeah, as, as, as I can get to it. Yeah, yeah, too good. All right. Apart from that, I'm uh, I'm gonna continue doing my little um, uh, designing my little traffic funnel thing for Facebook. <laughs> See how that goes. Yeah, I've got a bit of work to do myself, mate. So we'll keep going. All right, keep doing those tax returns. No worries, man. All right, ciao. Hi everyone, Simon here. So just for our final little bits to tack on to the end of the episode, recently I've been putting clips of Alan Watts or recently there was a John Cleese one, just things that I watched maybe on YouTube in the recent days leading up to a podcast episode. This time I thought I would put uh, Scott's video that I mentioned in my little introduction to Scott at the end of our podcast episode there. So I told you about Scott and his book, Headstrong, and also his Springsteen and I, I suppose, the audition video, whatever you would like to call it, for that documentary that was released a number of years ago. I'm just going to put the audio on there. However, I do encourage you to go onto YouTube and search for Scott Fedor, F-E-D-O-R, Springsteen and I. You can't miss it. It's about 11 minutes long. One of the best videos that I've ever seen. Um, and it's not just because I'm a Springsteen fan. I remember showing it to my mum and, you know, she she was in tears watching it. So I'm sure that you will be moved when you, when you watch it. So you're going to get much more out of it if you actually go and watch it rather than only listening to it uh, here at the end of our episode this week. However, I will put the audio here if you want to listen to it that way first. Uh, I'll also link to it in the uh, episode description and I'm going to put a link up on our Facebook page. So go ahead and like us on Facebook as well, Chronicles on the Fly. Oh, and also go and check out Scott's book, Headstrong. You'll find it on Amazon. It's really, really, really good. Here's Scott and we'll catch you next week. I heard my first Springsteen song when I was eight years old, and right away was hooked. And he had this uncanny ability of, of telling a story through his music, and in a few short minutes could make us fall in love with the character and associate ourselves with the journey that that character was on. And in most cases, it was usually a story about someone up against the odds, overcoming an obstacle, and um, you know, on that search for whether it was the American dream or just a little piece of a you know, little piece of mind in this crazy world. When I was uh, 16 years old, it was 1992, uh, my childhood friend Damien and I went to a concert at the old Ridgefield Coliseum in Cleveland, and that was the first concert we had gone to, and two 16-year-olds driving out there, um, both products of Catholic school and Catholic education, but here we were at this concert, asked, meeting you know, friends and guys next to us, asking us to buy us beer. And you know, doing all the all the crazy rebellious things that you know that, that go along with being at a rock concert, but had great seats. And just from that moment on, from when the lights went down to when he came on that stage, the presence that that this guy brought with him to the stage uh, was just out of this world. My life changed drastically in July 2009. It was the Fourth of July weekend, and I was up at my in-laws' cottage for uh, celebrating the holidays and had been there many times before, but unfortunately that, that weekend um, uh, went diving and I dove off into the dock a couple hundred feet from the house and the water level had greatly receded from the heat that summer. Then I dove in at Fort first and uh, smashed my head into the lake bed and right away knew what had happened. I had, I had broke my neck and I was laying completely paralyzed and just a couple feet of water, and subsequently ended up drowning. And um, everything I'd been living for in my life up to that point changed in, in the blink of an eye. And shortly thereafter, a couple days later, I woke up in the hospital bed, completely paralyzed, unable to move anything, unable to speak, unable to swallow, couldn't eat, um, just confused, scared, anxious, isolated, depressed. 
and was told by doctors that uh, for the most part, my life was over. I was never going to be able to have anything that remotely resembled the life I had before. Um, would spend most of my life in bed, the rest of my days in bed, however long that would be. And really all I could, you know, should worry about is just trying to get as comfortable as possible. That, that wasn't who I was. And, and I, I, was, I was always taught growing up to believe in myself, to, you know, stay positive, to you know, have strong faith and just believe in the inner will and the inner drive and the spirit of someone. And I knew if I was going to get through this and achieve any kind of life worth living, the life I wanted to live, I was going to have to call on that inner spirit. I found that strength I needed in my faith, in my family, and in Bruce's music. Some of the times I really look back on now and think that kind of helped sustain me was Damien, uh, as well as some other friends, Kevin and Mike, on several occasions would bring their guitars to the hospital. And when they would just wail away and they would just start jamming Bruce songs for hours and we'd all try to sing and I'd try to sing at the top of my lungs, which sounded like a, just a loud whisper, but it, it was just, it was, it was therapy. In a way, it was almost spiritual therapy to just kind of have that, that feeling that, okay, I can do this, I, I, I can get better. And we'd get to the point where they'd be jamming so loud and I'd be singing that it would cause all the machines to start beeping and, and all the alarms to go off and the nurses would come running in and they'd be all concerned, like, oh my, what are you doing, what are you doing? So after you know several weeks of really just getting my body to stabilize, eventually it was time to start on physical therapy. And it wasn't these intense exercises, but simple things like learning to try to sit up, trying to tolerate your blood pressure drops as you as you switch positions, getting your body stretched out. But they were exhausting. In every every little motion, every every kind of just stretch or, or change in position could greatly affect the body with a spinal cord injury. And I enjoyed working hard, but I loved kind of putting my iPod in my ear and just listening to some Springsteen throughout those workouts. Broke one too many eardrums trying to sing my Bruce music while I was, uh, I was working out. Um, it was great for my lungs as well. The louder I sung, actually, the, the, you know, the healthier it was for me. You know, looking back on it, it was, you know, very, very crucial, very critical for that physical therapy. And I think having Springsteen kind of along there to kind of motivate me and, and cheer me on, help me get more out of my workouts than I otherwise might have gotten. So then came April 17, 2012, and Bruce was coming to Cleveland as part of his Wrecking Ball uh, concert tour. I, I had secured four tickets for my friend Damien, who is actually now a, a Catholic priest, my friends Mike and Kevin, you know, the guys that had come to visit me and, and jammed Springsteen by my hospital bed. But for Damien and I, this was almost 20 years later, just a chance to go to another concert together. So that in and of itself was special. And I remember in advance of the, about a day before the concert, I had just written a letter to, to Bruce's camp, just telling him about my story, about the fact that I was going to be at this concert, and to tell you the truth, wasn't really hoping for much, but uh, just again, wanted to somehow let the guy know, thank you. And they came, we all, we all got down there for the concert and it was a blast. It was by far the best Springsteen concert I had seen bar none. So just after he finished Trapped, he leaned into the mic and he said, this is for my friend Scott. And I was just, I was like, wait a minute, he didn't say that really. And I remember Damien looked at me you know, and he looks at me and goes, 
holy shit, that, that, that's you. He said, he said, you know, for Scott, that's you. And I'm like, wait a minute, are you serious? And it took a minute to sink in, but clear as day, he had said, this is for my friend Scott. And the song that he proceeded to play was We Are Alive, really about just those that have been kind of, you know, beat down and have, pretty, have faced some pretty, pretty tough stuff, some pretty tough odds, but have found the faith to rise above it and that faith being rewarded. And to tell you the truth, I couldn't think of a more perfect song to pretty much sum up the journey I'd been on. Well, then we were escorted backstage by someone from Bruce's camp. And I kept telling myself, I can't believe this is happening. Max Weinberg had come out and was talking to us and um, you know, just chatting up with Mighty Max in of itself was, was a treat. And this guy was just so down to earth. Probably spent about 10 minutes talking to him and then he walked away and here comes Bruce walking down the hall, looking every bit the legendary rock star that he was, munching on this giant soft pretzel. And he saw me, made eye contact with me, and he came right up to me. And Bruce leaned right in, kissed me on the head, and said, God bless you. And then, you know, he noticed a, a medallion I was wearing around my neck, uh, a certain, uh, you know, Catholic medallion. And it's the exact same one that Bruce can often be seen wearing as well, too. And he looked at it and he leaned in and he goes, ah, a good Catholic boy. And I remember looking at him saying, yeah, we, uh, we got to stick together. And he kind of smiled and chuckled and took some pictures together. And I finally had that opportunity to say thank you to the man himself, who literally, his music, in a way, it kind of helped save my life. I think it was a special night for him as well, too. Just the encounter, him having a chance to meet me, just as much as it was for me meeting him. And it's something that will stay with me forever. I had the opportunity to give him one of the bracelets that I had, that I had given him before in the letter. And he took it and he put it on right away. So getting back up, stand strong with Scott. And, uh, you know, it was just a, just a wonderful, wonderful night. And there's a line from one of his songs, Trapped, uh, that just says, and I know one day I'll walk out of here again. And I know someday that I'll walk out of here again. I don't know when that day will come, but I truly believe that one day I walk again. And when that day comes, it'll be a Springsteen song that'll be playing when I take those steps. I know someday I'll walk out of here.